You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, good morning, everyone. So, as most of you know, this is my last Sunday here. Um, I'm moving to Washington State. And uh, we're, we're excited, but we have those mixed emotions. It's sort of like when you graduate college and you know all your people are scattering. You've loved the time you've had. You're excited for the new adventure, but you know you're not going to be in touch with the people like you used to be. And so that's, we plan on being back to visit. I'm hoping to do everything I can to come back for uh, more love, more power. So, so today is Palm Sunday, obviously. So I titled this, Jesus Wept During His Triumphant Entry. So, and I'm, the key is to this is Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the time's finally come. It was Passover week, and it was time for Jesus to prepare, prepare for his crucifixion. And he knew that his death and resurrection were reasons why he came to earth, but Jesus really wasn't looking forward to it. But here he is. So let's read the, the, uh, from Luke, starting in chapter 19. It says, after this, uh, <clears throat> after, after Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to the Jerusalem. It says after he said this. He would actually read that, that section because that's where it talks about the ten minas and it talks about someone not wanting their king. and a whole. It's a really, really, really good, rich, rich passage to move into the very next section. So, so go back and get your Bibles out and read Luke 19. So as he approached Beth, Bethlehem and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks along, along the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So the prophecy of, of Zechariah was fulfilled as Jesus rides a donkey into town. And that would have really contrasted with the pomp and circumstance that... Oh, okay. That would, I saw everybody looking up there. I thought, okay, what's going on? <laughs> This would have really contrasted with the pomp and circumstance because approximately near that same time, you would have had Pontius Pilate coming from Caesarea. 
He would have come through the western entrance. And so you had this military parade coming in as he came, because he always came for the Passover week because he knew the city would be full of people. So you have this man coming in from Caesarea, the city named for the man who thinks he's God, Caesar. And then from the east gate, you have a donkey coming in from the man who is God from heaven. So what a contrast to that to start with. And the people gathered in this huge crowd because everybody came to Jerusalem because it was Passover week. That was one of the, the events everyone who's Jewish had to attend. So every room is packed. The streets are packed. It's loud. It's bustling. And it's really exciting. And then they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then you've got the Pharisee, Pharisees even telling him, You've got to calm this stuff down. And Jesus tells them, if, 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 if I keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Because Jesus knew that the entirety of creation was waiting for salvation. So the stones were seeking salvation themselves. And so everything was, was finding glory on this day. It seemed wonderful and exciting. And then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It went from being a, a rose bowl parade to tears, suddenly. But why was Jesus crying? And before you jump to a conclusion and make statements about the future of Jerusalem and the temple, hang on a second. Look at what the cheers were saying. Look at what the cheers were saying. Mark gives probably the best, most complete example. He says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest in heaven. You see, after three years of miracles, teaching, casting out demons, Jesus is a rock star. And, and this, this procession was about the next king seated on the royal throne of David to bring Israel back its glory. That's what this was about. They could not see the glory of Jesus who sits on heaven's throne. They were looking for David's crown again. And the people didn't understand that he's the son of God. Not a general, not a military leader, not the next Moses. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the next king, like King David. They wanted someone greater than Moses. And so they did not want a servant, and they absolutely did not want someone who would be washing feet later that week. They shouted Hosanna, which means save now, or save now I pray, to the future conqueror of the Roman army. They were not concerned that the glory of God was in their midst. Shortly after he enters Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and causes a scene with the money exchangers. And, and they also were selling offerings. And these were very, very profitable because the pilgrims would come from everywhere. And when they got there, they had to exchange their local money for the temple money. And a lot of them traveled a long way and had to buy their sacrifice for the temple. And these were marked up sky high. I mean, these were like pandemic prices for toilet paper. So, and, and, and so he says to him, he goes, it's written, 
My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. At that point, Jesus decided enough is enough. It was time for another prophecy to be fulfilled. This prophecy would be more devastating on the nation than any other. And all he had to do was walk out of the temple. Later, Jesus would say, I I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Matthew 24, it describes how when he walks out of the temple, he predicts its destruction. And he's predicting the destruction that's about to come. And he took, he walked out, and he took the blessing and the glory of God with him, literally. By simply walking out of the temple, God not only removed, not, Jesus not only removed God's glory from the temple and its holy seat, he also took away its blessing on the nation of Israel. And he did it all at the same time, one full fell swoop. When he went up to the Mount of Olives, he fulfills Ezekiel's prophecy, the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The glory of God leaves the temple and the city of Israel unprotected by by the covering of his glory. They will soon all be destroyed. The temple will never be rebuilt. At least the temple of stone. So that's what brought the tears to his eyes. They missed it. He was removing the glory. He was the one who was to come, who was greater than Moses. The prophet whose face would glow from being in the presence of God's glory. He was the one. I want to shift gears a little bit. By the time John wrote his gospel, he really had an understanding of this. Chapter 1 may be the most Jewish section of all the Gospels. It's, it's really quite amazing. Because what he does is he pulls the Moses experience right into Jesus. It starts with John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. See, by this time, the word word or logos had become synonymous and was integrated into the concept of Jewish divine wisdom. Philo used to speak about this and write about it quite a bit, who was a Jewish uh, philosopher and scholar. And so it was understood that the Torah was the wisdom of God given to his people. So the concept of Torah is really poorly taught. We've got this law thing, it's kind of judicial, and it really means more about, it's the law of how to live a life to its fullest. It's like the, if you, when you say law, think like law of science. There's consequences when you don't agree with science, but like jump off the building if you don't agree with, with gravity. But we also have, so this law thing is not about going to court and losing and being punished. It's about how to live life. It's the wisdom of God. And so for the Jewish people then, the logos was the wisdom. And they had developed the concept that the wisdom was pre-existent alongside God, yet, yet distinct. And that the logos was Torah. So Jesus is saying, or John is saying of Jesus, Jesus is 
living Torah. So when the people would say to the converts, you don't know your Torah. He goes, we met him. So, it was, and then you go through John 14 through 18, and that is totally alluding to Moses on the, with God on the Mount Sinai. So I'm going to give you a real short recap of 30, verse 32, or chapter 32 through 34, all right? Moses goes up to Sinai, gets, gets the tablets of the Torah. Israel sins. Remember, God says, you better get back. The babysitter's got him a party going on there. You better get back home. And so they all go back, and then they have the golden calf. I know, he's looking at me. All right, so they sin. So now he's got to go back again, because he smashed the tablets when he got upset. He's got to get more. Then God tells Moses, I'm not going to dwell with your people. Matter of fact, I want to destroy him. And so Moses then begs him and says, show me your glory. And then he says, I can't show you the whole thing, but because no one can see the glory of God because they'll die. But I'll show you my goodness or my character. And he lets it pass before him. So as God passes before Moses, there's this cosmic spectacle of fireworks, if you will. But more than that, God reveals his character, his goodness is revealed at that point. So here you hear this, Lord, Lord, gracious and merciful, visits the inequity to the third and fourth generation, but has hesed love, covenant love for the 1,000th generation. He's telling them, I'm abounding in, in covenant love and faithfulness, which is translated in Greek usually as full of, of uh, grace and truth. And so he's telling him all this. Then Moses says, in light of your character, Lord, can you forgive us and dwell with us or tabernacle with us? God says he will, and he makes a new covenant. So God has a covenant relationship. Now let's look at what John wrote. The word became flesh, and it, it says dwelling, that's the word tabernacle. The same word as God did with Moses. I'll tabernacle you. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was pre-existent. He came before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So I made this little chart. The word Torah is given. The word Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name for, for John, or for Jesus, gosh, for John. God tabernacles with Israel. God tabernacles with, with his apostles. Some of his glory, all of his glory. The, the glory is full of grace and truth. The glory completes grace and truth. No one can see God. God fully revealed. Do you see this? John really gets what's happening on Palm Sunday and what's being rejected. Let's look at the climax, really, it's 17 and 18. For the, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself, read this, who is himself God 
and is in closest relationship. Actually, the exact phrasing is, is in the bosom of the Father, has made him known. Now remember, grace and truth came from Torah. But the fullness of grace and truth is found in Jesus. So when we see Jesus, we see God's heart fully revealed. When we hear Jesus, his words are God's words fully revealed. John the Apostle saw Jesus' glory. In John 12, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, John knew what had happened. It might have been in retrospect, but he knew. He was very much a writer for the Jews, and he begins his gospel. It starts right at this moment. That's how he begins the gospel. He tells the end in the beginning. He says, this is it. And he actually comes right at him, almost like he's pointing his finger and scolding at him and saying, this is the guy you never saw. This is the guy you prayed would come and this is the guy that came in glory. And, you, and it says, he actually says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was, was his own, but his own did not receive him. And finally, John says, that if you believe, the glory will dwell in you. He says that in Revelation. So as we jump back to Jerusalem, the tears are Jesus was that they had no idea who he is, who he was, and who he is to come. He, they saw power, riches, and pride. The glory of God is found in love, humility, and sacrifice. God's glory is revealed most openly at the place where his heart is completely revealed at Calvary on the cross. As humanity is actually swinging the hammer, Nailing Jesus to the cross, Jesus is forgiving them. Glory has come to earth, and it takes a cross to see it. We have to capture this. We really have to capture this. That's why he says it's folly for some stumbling block for others, the cross. This is the week that really, this Holy Week is the week to really connect and ponder the glory of God it has been dwelt and dwells within us. Establish it in your heart and establish how stunning this is. This is a stunning, stunning moment in the history of the world. The incarnate Christ allowing so much suffering so that humanity is brought back to relationship. Let's not be Jews of that time. Let's not be those that kind of like, yeah, I guess that's kind of a big deal, but not really capturing it. We're waving palms sometimes without seeing the glory of God that we're waving them to. We love the ritual, but we, don't, we forget who the subject of the ritual is. So I'm just hoping that you and I can return to be the children God intended us to be. So that his children that he knows and he loves, and that you and I will worship to God because... He's the Papa that we know and love now. And this is the week really to make that happen.
This is the week that you really say, this is what happened. This was the point where literally the cosmos shook. It says, Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left, you, is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You realize every time one of us sees Jesus and we see the glory of God in him, and then through him we see the glory of God in the Father, Jesus wipes away a tear. Because you, you have are the reason he came and for him to see, for us to see him as he is. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us John that Jesus endured the cross to see us free. To see us completely in him. And so Hebrews 12 says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Some say the trailblazer of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. Jesus is not ashamed of the gospel. He lived, he died, and he rose again so that we would have the greatest story ever told. The love story of God crashing into earth, so much so that the entire, the, think about it, every star in the planet shook when that happened. It shook. Revelation used, calls it a, an earthquake, but it's actually a cosmic shaking is what happened when, when the sun comes to earth. And so everything in the course of history has been changed. Everything in the course of history changed because of this. To be made alive in Christ, our risen King. I want to conclude with Revelation 21. Yes, I made it short on purpose. In verse 4 and 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. But verse 23, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So as the worship team is about to get ready to come forward, I'm going to suggest that we all just rise and proclaim and say this out loud. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, one, two, three. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.